Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the film Good Time, directed by Benny and Josh Safdie and starring Robert Pattinson. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hello there again, everybody, and welcome in to episode 125 of Film Tank. Again, it is just a two-man show this week with myself, Alex Diekman, and my guy... Nick Cheney. Celebrate good times. Come on. Do, 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 Let's do, get together do, do, do. and get arrested. Yeah? Cool. That was my own little spin on a very age-old classic. An age-old classic? Age-old classic. <laughs> who uh, who did that song? Oh, you know. Oh, um, I think it was somebody by the name of <laughs> Ringo Starr. <laughs> It wasn't. Okay. That was a, an attempt at a good recovery, but... Thank you. Just an attempt. So the film we are discussing today uh, between the two of us is a film we just saw in the theater, and that is Good Time, starring Robert Pattinson. Good Time. I know. Or like, great time. <laughs> okay, I'm dead. Uh, this film uh, won Best Actor at the, the Cannes Film Festival, and also was up for the... Uh, I always forget how to pronounce the name of the palm. Palm door? Yeah. That's how I, I kind of shorten it a little bit. That's okay. That's pretty much. Yeah. Uh, so this film got a lot of buzz coming out of con, which is usually a good thing because either people love it or they boo it off the stage. And half the time that means it's good. <laughs> yeah. Except for that Gus Van Zandt film with Matt McConaughey. That apparently was really awful. Yeah. But but that film festival is is widely known as the people being very vocal about their feelings. Yes. Like that's why they say like ovations and boos mean nothing at that festival because like they're pretty much there to they I, I guess they think they're voting in some way. <laughs> I don't know, but it's in the air, man. I guess. Because I would definitely say from our experience at Sundance, which is really my only film festival experience, um, I could totally see anybody getting like whipped up in a large applause or something like that. Yeah, there were a lot of ovations. At, yeah. But it never felt forced in the sense that people either stood up or they didn't. Like it yeah. was not this like room shattering, everybody gets up, except for like when we saw The Birth of a Nation and that was the the award screening. Yeah, so. which is kind of, it was just yeah. pretty much teed up for that. So, um, yeah, so there was a very good reaction for this film at Con, and then now it has actually made its way to actually most theaters around here, as this is playing, I think, in every theater in the area, which this isn't a really, really crowded time in the cinema, and uh, the box office just had its worst weekend in 16 years, so that's fantastic. So this film revolves around 
two brothers, uh, one of which is described as a bank robber who finds himself unable who finds himself unable to evade his pursuers. Boy, that is just spoilers. Yeah. I'm just saying, as far as that's not confirmed until the final Very scene. End. Yeah, <laughs> not that you didn't pretty much know, but that's where it was going. But it was at least suspenseful enough to keep yeah. you guessing. So Robert Pattinson stars as Connie Nikas. Uh, his brother in the film, played by one of the directors, Benny Safdie. Oh, really? Yep. Interesting. Is uh, Nick Nikas in the film. And then we have a couple of people showing up that you would know of, uh, including Jennifer Jason Lee, who's playing his... Kind of ex-lover? Yeah, I wasn't really sure. It was a know. little bit ambiguous, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I think but... so. I mean, I, I think by the condescending way her mother talked to him. They're clearly, I mean, she says friend because I think she doesn't want to even pretend, or not pretend, but I think it's kind of a ambiguous ex-lover situation. Yeah. Or she keeps him around for sex and... Yeah. It's I mean, there's of, something intimate. Yeah. I mean, no, for sure. When, but... when he's at the bail bonds, he's like necking her to keep her complacent. Well, she just gave him a credit card. I said to keep her complacent. <laughs> and then also uh, someone... make sure the charge goes through. But you doesn't. And then you have uh, Barkhard Abdi, who makes an appearance here. Who Can you, I just say? Who you would have previously seen uh, in Captain Phillips, who utters the famous line, I am a captain now. And he is here playing a security guard. Yeah, he was playing a person that could have been played by any race and like mm -hmm. I, it sounds like i'm being racist but i'm not like holly was racist because i've seen him in captain phillips where he was literally cafted off the streets to play this somali pirate mm -hmm. the last thing i saw him which he was good in but he was in eye in the sky where he played an, a native of the land that they were uh, doing their conflict on i can't remember if it was a made-up country or not but clearly mm -hmm. he was picked for a reason and here, I, I was surprised that he just played a normal, uh, now I'm going to sound like an Anglo-centric asshole, but <laughs> just a regular English-speaking role that could have been played by any nationality. Yeah. I mean, Although it thankless didn't, role, but didn't really require much range. No. Was, All I'm saying is I'm yeah. surprised, and that is actually, well, I'll get into that later. But Okay. Uh, and then uh, the only other person of note we have here is uh, a female named... Talia Webster, who uh, plays the role of Crystal, who is the uh, the girl who is at the house that Robert Pattinson takes his, his prisoner to. And I don't even know who that is. Um, oh, yeah, the guy. Looks like a weird, swollen version of Miles Teller. <laughs> like if Miles Teller was allergic to bees mm -hmm. and then walked onto the set where there was accidentally a beehive set loose. Yeah. That's what this guy looks like. Yeah, I, I can't even find him on, on IMDb. They're so. still trying to get the bees off of him. <laughs> Not sure uh, who that person is, but he was one of the main characters in the film, so there you go. Oh, behind. Yeah. Nope, can't find him. So anyways, uh, Nick was very interested to see this film. Uh, as I think you were interested to start with, as I was, because I thought the premise was interesting and obviously hearing... The rave reviews coming out of Khan uh, just just intrigued me, and it came around to most theaters, and decided to do an episode on it. So, um, this is more probably up your alley, I guess. Although, 
I don't necessarily know if, if this is a film that really would go out of its way to appeal to any certain kind of film viewer. Is There's a lot actually going on here, especially in the first 30 minutes or so. Um, but, but I think this film settles right into a groove for you, so I'm guessing that you probably quite enjoyed this. I did. <laughs> uh, do you want me to go into it? Yeah, sure. Go All ahead. right. Uh, first, I got to say, maybe this had an effect on it, but I think this is the first movie... Um, we've seen together all this year uh, that I did not see the trailer for beforehand. Okay. So I and I really don't even think I read much reviews. Like I, I saw scores and such. Yeah. But I all I knew was the word crime. Like I really didn't even know what whether it be organized crime, whatever. I don't even know how you would really describe this film. Yeah. To be honest with you, anyways. So. But um, so having said that, this was a unique experience to say the least. Because it really, for me, uh, started and did not let up. Um, I think certainly if you're judging it by tension, the first 30 to 40 minutes uh, are the film at its peak tense. But because I think the film is actually interested in more than an exercise in tension, uh, I was floored by it pretty much from start to finish. I loved the relationship between the brothers, despite the fact that they're not even on screen together for too long. I mean, it's really only the opening prologue in which that happens, but I'm never not cognizant of why this movie exists and the plot that's unfolding because of that uh, opening prologue. In fact, I think that's also why the movie itself does a pretty stellar cold open that most movies do not do these days, where you think there's going to be no opening credits, but really it was actually a 15-minute prologue before it uh, settles into uh, the the mode or whatever, so to speak, that the movie will then operate in for the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought this was across the board fantastic. I thought I my favorite part about this movie was the casting. I don't think there's a single person that shows up in every single role that didn't feel like that that's who they were. <laughs> like, from the, the leads themselves, I thought Robert Patterson was fantastic. I thought, uh, apparently, the director, Ben uh, Sedke, uh, mm-hmm. was great as a brother in the scenes he was in. I thought every detour character was actually extremely, like, in, I don't know, just endearing. Like, this kind of hit the sweet spot for me um, that a movie that we saw didn't but tried to in which that was um the best part of that movie though was complete unknown where you you have characters kind of going on their own nighttime odyssey in which they get kind of sucked into the orbit of other characters at least at one point yeah that film got up its own ass by the end of it and i'm not saying these films are alike but they Mm -hmm. have that one shared element and this movie does that trick that that movie does for only one scene with the kathy bates and the danny glove I think. Yes. Yeah, a couple. But I felt like every character uh, Connie came in contact with, I could have gone on a complete tangent with them and spent the rest of the movie. And I think that's also... Which you actually do for yeah. some of the characters. You never know who's going character. to be sticking yeah. around and who's not. And that's why, yeah, we get the, the girl that who ends up being the daughter of the couple that he cuts in front of, in front of the uh, the bus. And... Um, but from her to his um, alcoholic new bestie that he steals from the hospital on accident, um, 
I, just everybody that cropped up, I thought they were just perfectly casted, especially, and I think it what set the tone was, I don't know why, but the, the casting of the s- therapist, um, who's not like an important character by any means, but because he has some elongated scenes, which in the uh, beginning and the end with the brother, I don't know why, but like maybe it's someone who's been in the hospital or whatever, he just looks like somebody who works in an inner city hospital who actually likes it. I don't know. Like it's weird. It's not that it's good script writing. It's just that because the casting is so well done, I feel like I actually can see these people and not just, uh, characters, so to speak. Um, aside from that, I thought every technical part of this was fantastic. I thought it looked amazing. Um, it certainly leaned on the neon trend, but not, Not in really. a way that, yeah, because as far as I remember, the poster looks very neon. So I thought it was going to be, and I like both these movies' use of neon, but I thought it was going to be like a John Wick Atomic Blonde thing where it was trying to, where it was going to like be a pastiche. But in reality, it was actually way more, uh, I would say, underlit than I was expecting, which then only made it, I thought, look even better, um, whether it's uh, the apartment that they go to with, um, where they meet the girl, like how every light in that house has a different color, and that's kind of unnatural. Like that wouldn't really happen in a mm-hmm. setting, but it didn't really call attention to itself. So it was more just kind of accentuated each room and each space that they in- inhabit. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I loved all the technical aspects from cinematography. Uh, I also flat out loved the score. Um, I mean, it was electronic, so I was kind of. You know, prime to love it because I usually always love those scores. But I love the way the score itself is never actually overtaking the movie. There are times in which the score is playing, but then whatever music is actually uh, playing in the diegetic environment, it takes well, over. yeah, it takes over. But the score doesn't actually stop, so it's kind of weird how it's not like um, impulsively tethered to the film's actual rhythms. And it's I like just mixed in well, yeah, yeah. and it created a very tense uh, atmosphere. So, yeah, I mean, I'll get into a lot of things, I think. But in general, uh, from the opening prologue to the very end, I think I I was completely on board. If not from, like, a plot standpoint, like, it wasn't because I was like, oh, is he going to get free or not, but from an emotional standpoint, like, will any of this matter, you know, to him or his brother by the end of the movie? And I think the film does uh, offer up that, not explanation, but at least resolve. And um, because of that, I thought it was a journey well worth taking, and I, I thought it was pretty much fantastic. Yeah. So I was I, I'm I'm a little on the fence with this film because um, a little bit like with Logan Lucky, I feel like I could go see this again and enjoy it quite a bit more. Um, but I feel a little more little more confident in my initial thoughts on this one as is i'm i'm kind of caught in the middle on it uh is i think that this is definitely a a worthy film as we've seen quite a few films this year a24 usually finds uh, a certain type of release and they usually haven't released stuff that's even if you see a film of theirs that's not good it's usually competent yeah, or it's like just aggressively not your thing. Yeah, I think that's the other thing. Like, it's kind of getting scary now because I didn't know this was an A twenty four picture until it rolled in front of it, mm-hmm. and it's kind of getting scary that 
like now in my head and I'm trying not to do it, but it is becoming synonymous with like a promise of quality. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm trying not to think that way, but at this rate, it's kind of like, if I see that, then I kind of breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> no. And, um, <clears throat> I don't, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Like you, you see other studios at the beginning of it and you just kind of think, oh, okay, it's, you know, Columbia, whatever. Like you see A24 and it's a mark of they didn't buy this film because they want to buy films. They want to buy quality films. So, uh, and I, I don't necessarily have anything strongly against this. I just felt like this trailed off a bit towards the middle and end. Uh, and it, it lost me a little bit. I have to say, I don't, I don't think it's because that this is a bad film by any stretch, as I was kind of alluding to a few minutes ago, but it just, it just doesn't have a true 100% um, plot that's going to engross the viewer. I don't think it's got a very, I would say actually pretty loose plot. That's this idea of Robert Pattinson's character is hit with a little bit of, a little bit of guilt, I guess, yeah. about his about his his yeah. brother. Um, but at the same time, he still takes him along on this on this heist that he performs. Uh, he definitely has never seen a heist film before because the lady puts all the money in the bag and she just says, "Oh, this is all I'm going to give you." And the back room. I mean, even Patrick Swayze with his fucking ex president's mask on would just be like, "Well." Time to go, uh, but no, they they want all the money, and that's uh, obviously a, a big mistake. And yet, um, that's in an early part of this film. We're then led on this uh, actually quite entertaining uh, run through multiple different places. That ends up with the brother running through glass and uh and getting caught by the police and going to prison and going to a hospital because he got his ass beat not necessarily by anything he he did wrong he's a person in a bad environment for anybody specifically someone who um cannot really express themselves correctly so you have all this happening and then you uh seemingly have robert pattinson attempting then to get the money to get him out and then it just completely spirals out of control from there. And, you know, I was really digging this film for the first 30 to 40 minutes because I thought that this was going to be a continuous thrill ride. And it definitely uh, took a little bit of a turn from that. And even though it had moments that I thought were intriguing, I just couldn't get... Was it about the point in which he gets to the house? Probably. Okay. I yep. was like, as far as mapping yeah, it out. No. Yeah. I mean, I was interested in some parts of that. Uh, specifically, okay, he knows the girl is underage. And he makes out with her to keep her from seeing yeah. him on the screen. So if it would have just been that, I would have been like, eh. But then he takes her to her bedroom. Carries her. Yes. Like a child. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah, that was the moment when I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> that was the moment when I was on board. <laughs> with this movie no i um i'm being half serious in the sense that i that is actually one of my favorite traits of this movie in that i think some people would be wrong 
to go see this and then call him like an idiot because I actually don't think I think one of my favorite parts of this movie was watching how resourceful he is like he's not a genius by any means but the way he gets from scene to scene and from basically situation to situation is actually from a pretty good amount of ingenuity and just sheer perseverance um little things like with him uh and there are things that you've seen before, but the fact that he would think to do it at the moment he gets to it, which is what most impresses me, because I kind of think, like, I I like crime films, but I don't really love them. But when a crime film goes out of their way to try to show the humanity behind why people commit crimes and how they attempt to dig themselves out of the hole, so to speak, yeah. whether it's on a macro level with, with, with organized crime or a, here a micro level of just trying to get away, um, I'm always fascinated by that kind of thing. And so here, you know, with him, um, there, there are moments when I feel like he's not giving even the audience the full picture, like when um, the girl goes into the White Castle and he says, leave your phone here, I want to make a call or something. I think that's less actually that he needed to do something with it and more that he doesn't, even if he does trust her, doesn't want her to bring the phone with her. And But like he's got that kind of weird snakeish charm where he, uh, I think, can very convincingly um, pull off this kind of thing. Yeah, um, I think that is, and it's a character trait, so uh, I think Robert Pattinson plays this very well. But it's a very kind of ugh. Oh no, it's scuzzy. From I mean, it's it's scuzzy. He's a very manipulative yeah. kind of person. But the the other part of the of that coin actually is uh, I was going to bring up two films that I uh, thought of during this, uh, and I'll get to the second one in a minute because it involves a very specific scene with a very specific character. So the first film I thought of, and it's not because it's an exact. You know, one for one, uh, this is a much different kind of film, but the first film I thought of uh, throughout this picture was Rain Man, um, specifically because uh, you have the one brother who is continuously saying he's trying to help the other brother, but uh, not really. And now that's different because obviously You're Tom... about Rain Man. Yeah. Okay. Tom Cruise is trying to take advantage of, of yes. Dustin Osmond's character yeah. throughout the entire film, where here... He says he's trying to help him, but at the end of the day, that means he's trying to help him from what he thinks. And and we as the audience are left completely in the dark about a lot of details regarding um, these two characters and their past. We have the bad relationship with the grandmother. We have... Um, it's it's just a, a interesting inverse of that because we have the... You know, trip to Las Vegas, everybody wins, everything's great. And here we have these two brothers, one of which is having to go to the hospital because he got beaten the fuck up in prison. And the other one who's trying to uh, steal $10,000 from an acid dealer because he's trying to get him out. And it's just... Um, well, that's yeah. the thing, though. And that's where I do think that I, this movie gets its heart from, which is mm -hmm. that, like, the... Robert Pattinson character is not a very good person. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as you described, a manipulative, uh, scuzzy, you know, like, but all he's ever trying to get accomplished is to get his brother out of prison. Now, we don't, we don't know what he's trying to accomplish, though, in the first place, because they were very specifically trying to steal $65,000 was it ever said why it was that amount? 
Uh, I don't believe so. No. Okay. I believe... I feel like there was one comment that I remember making note of, but now I've got, not necessarily about the total, but about some kind of plan or something. Mm -hmm. But um, I guess in my own opinion, Mm -hmm. the brother Robert Pattinson, Connie, is never less than genuine when he is trying to get him out of prison. No. For, like, I I think he's propelled by guilt, but not necessarily because that's the root cause. Like, he just genuinely doesn't want his brother obviously to get the shit kicked i think that's the big thing it's it's i I think it's a scuzzy mix of the of self-preservation but also just knowing that no one knows and can get his brother to you know do things like he can and i think ultimately like that opening scene um when they're in the when the brother's talking to the therapist and talking about the grandma and whatnot i actually think all that's probably true like Mm -hmm. the the grandma is a horrible person um, probably taking advantage of a mentally disabled person sure and that he even if it's wrong but he feels more entitled to his brother even if that means helping him rob a bank or whatnot um and that's kind of what i liked about this movie that it's like a relationship that's not good not healthy but is never not uh filled with brotherly love like it's a very uncomfortable mix of like yeah, I mean, the, the the idea of him uh, at the beginning when they're going down in the elevator from escaping the therapist, shame on you. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, you know, he kind of hugs Robert Pence and hugs his brother and kisses him on the side of the head. Like, that's yeah. it felt genuine. So. Yeah. so the other scene I was going to mention. Uh, it's the hangover when Alan goes to Las Vegas. No. So uh, the other scene I was going to mention is uh, when we were getting the story uh, from the guy who was mistakenly taken from the hospital, which I actually thought the entire time, oh, he's going to take the wrong person. And in fact, he did. Uh, when he's describing the actions that led up to him going to the hospital, I don't know why. It just it, – and it's interesting because the first person – thanked by the film's filmmakers was Martin Scorsese. Yep. It felt like Ray Liotta's explanation of his day yep. uh, trying to escape from the helicopters and Goodfellas. <laughs> because we that's my favorite scene of the film, of this film, because we have this guy who's saying, oh my God, he got me out. You know, I got drunk, but then we got more, and then we got some acid, and then we ended up at an arcade. And who the fuck has an arcade anymore? <laughs> uh, but the idea of him having to escape a cabbie and just jumping out on the side of the road and like you actually see him hit the road and it's like oh fuck and then you know obviously his face pretty much got turned into rug burn and it's um yeah but that was that was and that was quite the check off sprite too (laughs) that's quite the interesting friendship slash needing somebody but at the same time he ends up sticking with him when you thought maybe he should just leave him. It's just a very, just a very weird situation, which obviously ended up good for nobody, which um, you see Robert Pattinson towards the end of the film in the back of the police car. And you think, boy, he's fucked a lot of people shit up here in the last yeah 12 hours. He, from the beginning to the end, <clears throat> he, if you go down the list, uh, got his brother in jail mm-hmm. I believe probably permanently based from what we kind of heard in the background, permanently damaged his ex-lover's relationship with her mother. Yep. I think that was kind of like some kind of final straw. Mm-hmm. Um, 
got a girl arrested, or not only arrested, but taken to prison yeah. uh, for something she had nothing to do with, mm-hmm. uh, and got a man to accidentally commit suicide <laughs> off of a building, and beat the shit out of a security guard just yes! to all right that was just that, to subdue him yeah that was um that was no going back he's yeah. a bad person that was like uh no i for me that was the not the moment but that was like the peak of his uh immorality so to speak like he didn't do it because he like wanted to hurt him but he was so indifferent to whatever obviously the lasting effect would be due to his own self-perseverance. Uh, and that was when he, I would say, like went further than he probably even had to. Uh, yeah. So. Well, and then the, the other guy just dumps the acid in his yeah. mouth. So you have this yeah. black guy who's turned into a well-meaning security guard, and then he's a ah, he's just a bumbling crack addict who gives a fuck. Yeah. Throw him in the paddy wagon. You know, that's the other thing, too, is that like all the other thing besides his brother but that's the whole crux of the movie but like you know jennifer jason lee's character has a ton of autonomy she didn't have to take out her credit card obviously he's manipulative but she made the choice uh the girl i genuinely think he does like her i mean not like that but just doesn't mind her and just yeah. knew that if she was taken she wouldn't say anything and she wouldn't get arrested for anything like mm-hmm. so but the security guard yeah he, he fucked that shit up yeah i mean he was just and also, too, uh, you know, that kind of is a little bit of a similar uh, moment to earlier when the brother is first in prison and he starts beating the shit out of the guy uh, who is, I don't know exactly what he said, but he pretty much just put in, he would have even had more of his way with him, um, which makes it me feel like he's been here before yeah. uh, in this situation, but then the other prisoners get with him, and that was pretty much all she wrote for that. But um, I think we actually pretty much went through <laughs> at least every scene here yeah, and there. Yeah, like every the, piece. Because there's not that ma- I mean, there's a lot of small details, but there's like, you know, probably about six major set pieces yeah. throughout the film, and uh, this the movie weaves throughout, but you do bring up a good point of uh, Robert Pence's character of Connie running into different characters from time to time at these different set pieces and then moving on, sometimes leaving them, sometimes taking them with him, and you never know how long it's going to go, but really it doesn't end up that good for anybody. Is everybody, no. the one guy's dead, uh, the other guy's beat the fuck up and now is going to have a, a record even though he's just trying to do his job. Even people who uh, obviously don't get necessarily involved with like criminal or brutal aspects of it still get tied up into it. Like the bus driver that he cons a ride off of is then I think basically, you know, sequestered for questioning. Little things like that where it shows that uh everywhere he went he had a kind of profound if only temporary, but a profound impact on the the people he met's uh, agenda. Yeah, even the cab driver at the beginning, when they uh, they have the bag full of money that yeah. explodes and this barrels into a parked car. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> kind of that cab driver scene is basically, I think, a microcosm of the whole movie. It's you know his, the two brothers trying to get away scot free, mm-hmm. only due to certain incompetence uh, and not enough foresight. 
bumbling their way into a car crash, like I, I, something that they caused themselves, basically. Yeah. If even if not literally directly, but uh, that's kind of the rest of the movie is watching a slow car crash, knowing that it's going to hit, and <laughs> I guess maybe hoping that he gets away with it. I, you know, it was weird. I was surprised that by the end of the movie. I wouldn't have minded ethically if he got away with it, even though he did like horrible things. Like, but what would got away with it would have meant like that he gets away and his brother's still in jail. Yeah, I mean, I would. It would have to be some far fetched situation, which so I, I may have had problem with script writing at that point. But I'm talking like ethically and character wise, I was surprised that by the end of it, I wouldn't have minded like a happy ending for him because I just felt like he poured his heart and soul into this night uh, just to get his brother back. So, speaking of happy ending, yeah. let's talk about the actual denouement ending of this film, mm-hmm. which uh, pretty much shows uh, his brother, uh, I believe his name is, is it, is it Nick? or It's Nicky? Nick. Yeah. It's Nicholas. Ah, there you go. I remember. Uh, we, That's my name. We see him meeting again with the therapist, and mm-hmm. then he's brought into this, to this pretty much simple skills classroom workshop. Uh, with other people who uh, Robert Pattinson's character of Connie was trying to tell him, you're not like him, you think that you're like them or whatever, and yet he's in there participating in, in this classroom. And, a, and a, an interesting drop-off point for this film, and actually it plays throughout the entirety of the credits, which was also interesting. Mm-hmm. So kind of what were your thoughts on, on, on where we get left with that, and, and do you think that that really has anything to say about this film at all, or just kind of... I'm glad you asked. Oh, okay. Uh, it's probably one of my favorite endings in a movie this year. Um, okay. I really thought it was going to be one of my least favorite endings. Um, not that moment, but because the scene before had the classic zoom in on a character's face after the journey they just so had. Cut to credits there. And I was like, not that I was going to hate the movie, but I was going to be like, really? That's all you came up with? So the fact that we did go that one scene further um, and we ended on what I thought was a pretty beautiful note... Um, I thought that was fantastic, mostly because um, I just like, I feel like that scene is a good litmus test of how invested you are in this movie, which is when the um, the teacher of the class uh, says what their activity is going to be, which involves crossing the room if you agree with her statement, and like emotionally, my eye was glued to the screen to see if he would start participating. Um, and once I realized that, like, that I was, like, almost on the edge of my seat to see if he would just cross a room, I, you know, like, that's when I knew that the ending itself worked for me. But I think that's, like, that's kind of what this whole thing is about. Like, it's all about the little moments throughout this entire movie that I think may seem like meandering, uh, detours or tangents but end up actually saying things about these characters and their journey and whatnot i mean you know there are some pretty throwaway lines that actually ended up being slightly more important and i think that's kind of the point of this movie i think the brother especially but robert pattison as well i think they the two of them are very overlooked people you know like they, they they're they're of a class and a uh, society in which i'm sure they're treated not like or i'd say should they are treated like second class citizens in a way well the other thing is too is the way that they dress yeah uh the idea that i'm sure both of them have some sort of 
criminal record in some way. I'm sure if anyone got a look at their file or ran a report on them, if they were getting pulled over, they would just assume that Absolutely. they were bad people. In fact, the, the scene in which um, – it's funny because at the audience – we're experiencing it for the first time when um, they're walking down the street and they've already changed clothes, but the cop wants to talk to them. Well, um, And I like that scene a lot because what I liked about it is that it's our first time experiencing that with these two characters, but it's probably the umpteenth time that they've had a conversation like that yeah. with a cop where just because of the way they're dressed or the way they walk. Um, and I like that this whole thing... <laughs> gets blown off the rails because the brother ends up running when he shouldn't. You know, it's his brother telling him not to move and not to run away. And so at the very end of the movie, the brother is literally put in a position where in order to communicate and express himself and to connect with other human beings, he's told he has to cross that room. And uh, it's just a little moment, but I love the fact that that kind of doubles back. Yeah, we have the... uh... We have the the interesting part of of that final scene, which uh, I felt a little bit uneasy about um, the beginning of it, not necessarily the the actual final scene, but we have the very emotional uh, moment early on in the film uh, when uh, the brother Nicholas starts crying when he's he's talking to the therapist, and we get it you know, it's revealed that he's uh, threw a hot pan at, at his grandmother, even if he kind of changed his tune played his hand a little bit there with that. Uh, but um, I, I guess the the concerning part is the therapist knows this whole story. And yet uh, here he comes walking saying, oh, it's so nice to see you again to, to the grandmother who's who's with Nicholas there. And you assume that he will be going back with her at the end of the day. And yeah. it, it makes kind of all of the gains that you feel like maybe he's having. You're like, oh... But maybe not, because we actually don't know really anything. About no, the but I think you're onto something in the sense that I do think Nicholas, the character, is a victim of the system, yeah. no matter what. If he's in prison, he things like him getting the shit kicked out of him, or it's going to happen because prison is in no way up to code as to how it should treat uh, any human being, let alone a human being with any kind of uh, mental disability. Um, and. The flip side of that is even if he's not in prison, this no one's in a position to take him or even legally I think can in the sense that I think he's probably like 17 or 18 or like older than um, whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so you're not going to rip him away from probably the only place that's going to actually let him live there. And But, I, you know, the therapist does seem like a genuinely good person and trying to acclimate him into a obviously a place that his brother didn't want him and the other thing too about the therapist and um not necessarily to compare him directly with this character but uh stanley tucci's character in spotlight who's not necessarily you know the saint or anything like that but here's a person who's dedicated his life to trying to help people who were victims of sexual abuse and it's pretty much just I do this every day, so I'm going to go home and come back to work, and then I will just continue to do this because this is all I do for my job. And that's what pretty much this therapist seems like because he works in this facility that uh, seems like this is probably some sort of a specialty. Um, It doesn't take a village to raise a child. It takes a village to ruin one. 
well done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but um, you know, we we have definitely a lot of interesting character traits throughout the film. Uh, even the the idea of Robert Pattinson opening up the refrigerator and just seeing all of the jars in it, and she's like, "You don't want any of that." Yeah, I got some chicken McNuggets in the freezer. <laughs> just. <laughs> It, yeah. It's just one small detail that it feels like at every stop, even if all of it wasn't necessarily working for me, there was some interesting detail that you could come back to later. For sure. Um, the other thing I'll say really quick about Robert Pattinson's character, so Connie and Nick, the two brothers, is that the the other thing is that the love, I guess, that he has for his brother, um, I found it endearingly selfish because I think part of the other reason why he doesn't want uh, Nicholas to basically be present in any society in which he's probably more with like-minded peers is because I do think part of him is jealous like it sounds bad to say but like there actually is a system in place where he can be accepted and find probably a happiness that I don't think Connie will ever know and I think Connie would be a very lonely person without his brother. And so for that reason alone, too, I also think that's kind of half what fuels his uh, resistance to basically let his brother uh, not get help because he's fine as who he is, but um, to have that to himself. And mm-hmm. uh, I just found that, like, it's weird because that's like an incredibly selfish thing, but it only makes me sympathize more with that character because that's a very desperate uh obviously moved to to not feel lonely yeah so yeah yeah do you think there's any meaning behind the the title of this film celebrate it. no I, th- I think it's a uh a cheeky little kind of i think that's one thing i liked about the movie that i wasn't expecting was that it's okay. not a comedy like capital c but the movie does have a lighthearted sense about it um, to some very, like, it's weird. It never not grasps the severity of every situation that Connie finds himself in. But because Connie is who he is, it's this very almost whimsical, sleazy trip. You know, like, he, the way he reacts to um, finding out that he stole the wrong hospital patient is not like the funniest scene of the year or anything like that, but it is kind of darkly hilarious in the way he just becomes very detached from that person, obviously, but just how he's kind of like, Oh, okay, great. Uh, so we gotta go back. So I gotta go get the real one. And, yeah. and you know, just kind of this matter of fact. Uh, so no, I think the title itself is kind of an extension of Connie himself, which is just, <laughs> we're here for a good time not a long time i guess i don't yeah. know so yeah i found it uh found it interesting as i think the the directors definitely play their hand a little bit as uh one of the funniest moments actually comes from a a television clip that's played which is a a plane of <laughs> uh, an episode of cops where it basically shows them trying to save a woman who's they say is trying to commit suicide and yet she ends up getting the knife stabbed into her and then you hear the police officer well there's really nothing we could have done about that so you know whatever and yeah. i was just like oh man is this a coen brothers film do they not <laughs> like police officers yeah well that and i also like the idea that i do like you said that the directors may have been playing their hand i actually think that this movie plays like an episode of cops itself which is like up the 
like momentary drama as far as what's happening in the immediate sense. Um, but doing it and playing it, not if for laughs, then for a kind of like awe-inspiring fascination of needing to know how this is going to end type thing, um, while still being about a very serious bender. You know, like, like in Cops, those are criminals, those are cops, and that's a real job that actually takes a lot of fortitude and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, strength and courage, but sometimes you're called to... Get somebody's cat who's too drunk to climb off of a ladder. I don't know, just something random, whatever the hell that I don't know. But uh-huh. um, but how that mixes in with very real, like somebody who was force fed acid, uh, you know. And so, um, yeah, it had a weird farcical atmosphere that it kind of shared with cops because yeah. I used to watch that quite a bit. Uh, it's compulsively watchable. It is. It's like one of those things where you never plan on watching it, but if it's, if, well, at least when it was, not anymore. But... Catch an eight-hour marathon, yeah. and all of a sudden it's three in the morning, bad and boy, bad you boy. hope KFC is still open. So. Although I permanently switched uh, once Reno 911 became a show. <laughs> I it, I went straight to parody and never back to the real thing. <laughs> maybe I'll make you feel better that, oh, I guess this maybe was written. Can yeah. I just say really quickly how great Reno 911 is? <laughs> Because, hold on, mm-hmm. like, in order for parody, and I think even kind of satire, because I think it's kind of satirical, too, not just parody, but in order for, I think, a great test of how good it is that's parody, when I was a kid and I was too young to know the difference, I thought it was a real show. And I think that's a good test, because if it was too broad, it would have been whatever, but I genuinely thought, like, these were crazy people in Las Vegas, and... Hmm. and I don't think it's even if you rewatch it, and this is a really weird tangent, but I'm just saying that's how stupid Cops is, <laughs> that it already seems like a parody, so if you just give them funnier lines, it's really not that much different. Yeah. So, anyway. So, going to ratings, I'll go first, since uh, you probably have more better put together thoughts than I do. Yeah. Um, I'm actually going to give this a little bit higher of a rating than I was I was kind of leaning because I was going one way or the other and I'm going to go towards the higher rating which I'm going to give it 3 out of 5. Uh, I don't necessarily think this is a great film as uh, this kind of falls into the I enjoyed some of what I saw but not all of it as uh, I think that there um, you know, was probably a better film in here for me personally as a film viewer but it doesn't take away anything from this is, is this definitely has something for, I feel like actually pretty much everybody, no matter what kind of film you're into, unless you just hate any kind of independent Robert or Robert Pattinson. But if you hate any kind of independent thematic film, then maybe you wouldn't like it. But I think here we have moments that felt like baby driver. You had moments that felt a lot slower and a lot more dramatic and you had characters that definitely uh, create something that feels pretty fresh. So um, I'm going to give this three out of five and I, uh, I definitely do think I'd I'd enjoy watching it again. And uh, as we were joking about earlier, this looks like it's made for the criterion collection. So maybe someday (laughs) you can lend me your disc. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead, move on to Nick. I thought this was pretty fantastic. Like, I think it has a ceiling as to what you can get out of it, but, like, I'm very much in that room, so to speak. Uh, I thought 
performances and casting, like I mentioned earlier, across the board was excellent. Like, I genuinely... I, I did see in the credits it said street casting by, like, there was two departments. And I totally saw that throughout the whole movie as far as everybody who walked uh, into a shot in this movie felt like they were a part of... I believe it was New York City? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Felt like they were a part of this uh, area of New York City. Um, and I and that's weird because New York City is one of, if not the most, besides maybe Los Angeles, I don't know, but uh, one of the most filmed cities ever. Like it's always the center of a TV show or a movie, and so it's rare that you see a movie or a TV show in which you feel like someone shot a different side of it. And I don't mean that like they found actual other areas, but like where you're seeing a city through somebody else's eyes, even if it's only one degree different than, you know, like a taxi driver or some other scuzzy New York films. But I felt like I'd seen a new version of New York City, um, which is kind of crazy to think of. Um, But I thought it was fantastic. I was on board from start to finish. And I will admit, I'm the kind of asshole that, like, I was even more on board once the film got to the house and slowed down. And the characters were kind of, like, I feel like there's a lot that I'll get out of rewatches in stolen glances. And, like, when he's asking the girl about, like, if she lives here alone or does she have to take care of her grandma, I definitely thought that, that was pretty, like... Whether you think he's a bad person or not, I think he likes people, like, in hmm. general. Um, not every person, obviously, but I, I think there's a humanity in Connie that isn't always on the surface but always right there underneath um, propelling his mission and also his interactions with other people really quickly. How about the awkwardness of her walking in and he's just sitting there without a shirt on with hair dye in and she's like, Oh, what you doing? She's got to dye his hair, man. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Uh, I don't know, man. That's, that's something like, okay. And this is such a little line, but Mm -hmm. the way he, when he's talking to Jennifer Jason Lee's character on the phone, Mm -hmm. he's like, I got to hang up now. I'm on somebody else's phone. It's rude. Like that actually doesn't, like, I don't think that was just written in as to be a joke. I actually think his character thought that in that moment. A, because I'm sure he doesn't want to talk to her. But B, cause I don't know. I just think that that's what I mean by the humanity. See, but kinda he says her. that. But at the same time, then, he's always got a, a reason to try to coax somebody into allowing him to do what he needs to do. Which that is, is true. That's he, but that's what I mean. Like, yeah, I, I think a, it's very he's uh, a shitty used car salesman. Complex, yeah, <laughs> or a complex. Well, I mean, character. I think that there's humanity underneath that bad behavior. Yeah, like, like, sure. I, I like. I think somebody who thought that wouldn't even say that and <laughs> would just say, "Get the fuck out of this room." I got your phone now, bitch. Or, you know, <laughs> like, um, like it sounds. I don't want to advocate for pedophilia here. But just hold on here, because A, she's not underage, technically, in the state of Illinois. I'm just saying, if we're going legal, whatever, I, I'm just talking about hypothetically the character. There's two kinds of people that would react in that situation. There's the kind of person that would basically try to get out of it in a tender way. <laughs> I'm just saying, or there's the kind of person that would just basically knock her across the head and make her pass out, whatever. I just think that his choices, while all made out of self-preservation, he errs on the side of the sanctity of human life, except for the security guard, where he, I feel like he had clearly no other choice. And that's what I find him, that's why I find him so fascinating, because I think he's a bad person, but he's usually doing bad things for 
a pretty endearing reason. For, for me, at least. Okay. Uh, I give it four out of five stars. I okay. think it's pretty much fantastic, and I really recommend that anyone try to watch it. Yeah. I feel like this is a film that might, people might jump off on if they caught it on a streaming service down the road. Yeah. But that's because people so, suck. That's right. There you go. If you have any thoughts out there on the film Good Time, uh, or, or Robert Pattinson, because as yeah. I found out tonight... Nick is actually a little bit of a Robert Pattinson fan. I am. He's, yeah. um, you know, ever since his post-YA days, uh, he's, in my opinion, been doing great work in movies that I pretty much have hated. Yeah. Um, he was, like, honestly the best part of The Lost City of Z, which I is one of my least favorite films of the entire year. Mm-hmm. But I thought his role, which was short, uh, but was extremely engaging, he was in the rover, which I didn't really care for, but I thought his presence was like endearing. And finally, he's in a movie that I actually like, where he's able to do some good. And can I just say, is it just me, or with his facial hair, does he ever feel like he could play Oscar Isaac's brother? I felt like his... Watch, like, okay, once I've said that, watch a clip of him in Good Time, and tell me that you don't see certain similar facial tics. Okay. Just I'll have to I'll have to try to remember that one, but I'll I'll give it a go. Okay. Speaking of Oscar Isaac, saw that trailer for the new George Clooney film with him. Not yeah, so sure about that no. one. No. <laughs> George Clooney is not a bad director. Like he like knows how to make a movie, mm-hmm. but I'm not yet seen him since his very f- first two films uh, tell a story worth telling. Yeah. I this... really did like. Uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind and Good Night and Good Luck. Yeah, but even Good Night and Good Luck, like that, mostly worked because his work was cut out for him. <laughs> like he already kind of like you know because it very smartly uses archival footage mm-hmm. of McCarthy and whatnot. So it's and it's such a short movie. All he really had to do was create bumper scenes in a movie. Yeah, yeah. I actually like I like both of those actually too as well. So. Yeah, uh, that trailer just made me feel like it was trying to use Matt Damon for things he's been successful in before, but missing out on why he was successful in those things. Yeah, because when I saw the poster, I was like, oh, yeah, finally someone's cashing in on that informant money. And then I saw the trailer, and I'm like, you just, like, yeah, he gained, or looks like he gained some weight, but he's just a Matt Damon. He's not even allowed to be, like, a rusty, like, you know? Anyway. I don't know. So, oh, yeah, any other thoughts? Did I say a Rusty? I'm yeah, a, you said Rusty. I meant a Linus. Linus. There we go. Maybe he's Linus trying to play a Rusty? Oh. That could be interesting. Any other thoughts on Good Time or Robert Pattinson or Suburbicon? You know, I almost didn't come over here. <laughs> then I'd still be sleeping. Yeah. I'm glad I did. <laughs> uh, you can always send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com, or you could also find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Film Tank Show. Yeah. Just a few minutes ago, Nick was talking about uh, films that take place in New York City. And for That's our why next episode, I was setting you up. Boom. See? What a beautiful transition you've created. You're welcome. Uh, we're going to talk about another film, which definitely involves many parts of New York City as it goes from the theater district to downtown to uh, even like apartment areas and actually has a flying scene in there as well. Uh, and that is... Uh, Spider-Man! <laughs> the best picture winner from three years ago now or two? Three. Three years no. No. Well, it's like it came out in the year before. Like yeah. it, it depends if you go by 
ceremony or the ceremony was in 2015 yes so the film came out in 2014 uh and it's the best picture winner from that year and that is birdman Birdman. or the unexpected virtue of ignorance because it was moonlight spotlight birdman right yeah going backwards yeah yep all right yep uh, and this was a film that actually uh, myself, Nick, and uh, Toussaint, who who may or may not be joining us uh, next week, so we'll see. Uh, we actually went and saw this all together. We did uh, during its first run through the theater, which was, I want to say, around this time that year. But August. We were, what were we there to see bef- after that, though? Because we only caught that we we saw two movies. I don't know why this is going to bug me. Mm-hmm. I don't think the listeners care. But we saw two movies. It was Regal Lincolnshire. Mm-hmm. And because we could get there early enough, we we said we'd go see Birdman first. Yeah. But there was something else. You keep talking. I'll keep talking. Out. Okay. So, okay. I was watching a film uh, with Ron Jeremy the other day. Um, and what I don't understand is... Oh, boy. Like, for such a world-sighted penis, right? I'm just saying it's all over the internet. Like, you see a lot of ads. Like, do you want Ron Jeremy's penis? Which, first of all, always kind of throws me off because I'm, like, always, like, is that, like, asking me if I want, like, a mold of it? Or is it, like, is it trying to sell me a likeness of my own uh, to match Ron Jeremy's? And, frankly, I'm not too sure I'm comfortable with either one of those uh, implications because one, I, I really have no use for a mold of anybody's penis, let alone Ron Jeremy. And I'm not saying if you if you do have a need for that, then you know I'm, I'm not judging that. I'm just saying personally, it's just I don't need it in my repertoire. Uh, but secondly, if if you're telling me that I could get a likeness of Ron Jeremy's penis, I I've, I'm just trying to figure out. I feel like that's just awkward, you know. Um, that's just kind of a deal breaker for some people, I, I would suspect, because, you know, if you get to that moment in time where you're getting lucky, but then they're like, that's Ron Jeremy's penis, you son of a bitch. You know, like, that's a, that's a call for abortion right there. Um, no, I'm not talking about that kind of abortion. I'm just saying, like, that they would abort what they had instigated. Mm-hmm. And, like, then you're being cock-blocked by your own cock, but it really is Ron Jeremy's cock. And, like, that is... Nobody needs that in their life, man. I cannot figure out what film we saw. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to do this. The the so I just told everybody about my Ron Jeremy experience. You did for no reason. Yep. The only film that is you can leave that in. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Nobody listens to this. Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) Uh, The only film that I thought maybe it would have been, I don't think it was. Uh, but that was the film, The Drop. But I don't think it was that. No, that was Barrington. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Um, you, I'm sure I you'll have you can thought. you can figure this out. I'll figure it out. Yeah. Because it wasn't Whiplash. Uh, it wasn't Fury. It wasn't Whiplash. No. Oh no! Because I, no. I, I we you and me saw that. We saw that at Charlestown, and I saw it. I think before you with my mother at Charlestown too. Anyway, yeah. it wasn't Nightcrawler. Uh, I'm just going through the list and th- trying to think of things that could have been, right. and I am just not seeing anything that looks right. It wasn't John Wick. Oh boy. Um, Hold on here. Yep. This is. It wasn't the same night we did Interstellar, was it? No. Okay. Because no. I know we went to Lincolnshire for that. Mm-hmm. 
But that was a dedicated showing, I think. It was at like seven, but I didn't know if we did like. Maybe that. I Hold guess. Um, I, can tell I, you. I guess that's possible because um, yeah, I'm really really struggling here. I I'm guess. struggling. Okay, so I'm not going to tell a Ron Jeremy story. So <laughs> well, you're this, lost. This is just going to be dead air, I guess, because I've got I've got not much else to discuss here. Well, Nick looks on the interwebs oh. to find out this very important thing that no I one cares about. It's extremely important. Hmm? That's why I'm shouting so you can hear me. It's funny because your shouting still is like yeah. a mile away, so that's cool. Yep. Interstellar. Really? We, I haven't logged as both November 4th. Okay. What so a that's long, what we were there. What a long day. Yep. I think we went out to, we went to dinner. Chipotle or something like that. Yeah, in between. between. But I just remember... At the time, even though we were hearing a lot about Birdman, we were not going to Lincoln Charter for Birdman. Okay. We were just like, hey, we can go see Birdman because it's out there. That's and now Lincoln Charter is a pretty shit theater because they now yeah. don't even really get anything like because that's what they used to when we saw other stuff there. Yeah, uh, they didn't have their uh, they didn't have the fucking, special screening for Dunkirk then. No, and they didn't have the overnight which I really wanted to see, which yeah. they listed that they had. And then yeah. they said, I was the idiot for following a third-party movie app. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry that Fandango was a third-party app. And yeah, that, that was kind of bullshit. Yeah, it was. It and then I was trying to get yeah. free tickets because I personally believe he should have gave us free tickets because they, they, they don't fucking make money off the tickets anyway. So they, weren't, you can, they weren't having it. Nope. And I'm like, really? So. Really? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Let me tell you about my friend Ron Jeremy. God damn it. So anyways, yeah. Uh we will probably go over the tale of that again and maybe leave out Ron Jeremy <laughs> next week. Uh but we're gonna discuss Birdman. He doesn't like being left out. Uh well, we're just gonna leave that right there. <laughs> Jeremy uh, Oh dear. Uh and that's what we're gonna talk about next week is Birdman, not Ron Jeremy. You can always find our episodes on filmtankshow.com. Or on iTunes as well at Film Tank Show from my buddy Nick Cheney, myself Alex Diekman. Oh, thank you very much for catching up with us on Film Tank, and we will catch up with you next time. <laughs>